the Oscar goes to... And the winner is... And the Oscar goes to... The winner is... The Oscar goes to... M-M-O-W's Oscar Race Update. And we're back. Another Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Oscar Race Checkpoint episode for your listening pleasure today. Coming to you another day early like we were last week, but that's because we have a lot of news to get to and have a special guest. We want to recap the Telluride Film Festival as well as other film festivals happening around the country uh, today for you. This is September 6th that you're listening to this. Hopefully, I don't have a film comparison that debuted today because I'm not guaranteeing that you're listening to this on the 6th. Let's hope you're listening to this on the 6th and I get it out for you then. (laughs) I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also Mike. Earnest, scared, stupid. There you I'm go. just going to take a guess that that one was released. <laughs> Feels like a September today. movie. Feels <laughs> like a late September, right before October. Scared, stupid. We're really happy today because we got Matt Neglia. He's yeah. the uh, owner of Next Best Picture. We'll intro him again when he comes on. But he's done a, a great job throughout the last week, for sure, with all these Telluride reviews. He's got six on his website in written form. In terms of their podcast, you know, they've done some fun stuff. They did a Carol retrospective last week. Mm-hmm. They reviewed Britney Runs a Marathon. And, um, and of course, they kind of dove into the fall film festivals with a couple previews on Venice and Telluride ride and marriage story trailers kind of like us we really enjoy their coverage we reference them all the time so it's exciting to get the chance to uh talk to one of our buddies on film twitter today Absolutely. Matt Negley. and like mike said matt actually just got back from the telluride film festival last weekend uh, he's on record saying it's one of his favorite film festival experiences he's ever had we're going to ask him about that going to ask him about the logistics of the festival get into some stuff about the movies he saw there and hopefully have a lot of info and content for you to listen and kind of put you in the telluride experience if you weren't able to go your Yourself. Uh, so without any further ado, here's a quick rundown of the Telluride Experience featuring Matt Neglia from NextBestPicture.com. All right, on the line, Matt Neglia, the owner of the Entertainment Awards website, Next Best Picture. You've heard us reference it plenty on this show as well. He's a film critic and the host of the Next Best Picture podcast. Yeah, Matt is our first guest on Oscar Race Checkpoint for a damn good reason. Number one, we, we loved his work all mm-hmm. along, and like you said, we reference it on almost every other show, it seems. But on a personal note, when, when we started two years ago, Matt, you were one of the first guys to re- reach out to us, to retweet our stuff, to, to make friends, really. So from day one you've been awesome to us you and everybody at next best picture and i just want to take the time to to thank you personally matt welcome and and thanks for coming on today man yeah i'm happy to be here this is a blast i love listening to your show i've been a fan as you said since the early days and i pretty much listen every single week for the most part cool thanks thank you very much i love your enthusiasm guys you guys are great (laughs) thank you very much for that uh matt like we said and like we promised our audience you have a first-hand account of what actually goes down at telluride you've actually just tweeted recently that it was the best film experience that you've ever had film festival experience i should say so what prompted that i guess to start what made the telluride experience so great for you well i mean the first things first is that when you get to telluride you get to one of the airports and the airport is not like right next to the festival at all you need to actually travel quite a ways to get to the festival at that point in my case it was two and a half hours by car holy christ yeah (laughs) this is a town that is on a mountain in the middle of nowhere and when you actually get there and you realize that you're up on this mountain, especially when you take the gondola and, you know, for people that are like doing any kind of hiking or skiing or whatever it is, you know, up on the mountainside mm-hmm. and you start to get higher and higher and you realize just exactly where you are in relation to everything else. 
<laughs> this I, I I could not stop repeating the phrase from in Bruges when he's like, it's a fucking fairy tale place or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm picturing like something out of Game of Thrones. I'm right. Picturing well, it's the like veil. these like cobble streets, and you know, oh it's like God. this cute little town that looks like almost like Disneyland to a certain extent. That's adorable. It's it it really does feel magical while you're there on top of the fact that you're seeing a lot of world premieres for a lot of movies that we all tend to care about the award season contenders so it just has like this aura about it that it feels special on top of all of that there because it is so secluded from everything else mm-hmm. there's not really much if any no not at all any paparazzi oh so the nice. stars feel so much more comfortable and laid back to kind of just roam the streets, converse with people, hop in at screenings here and there. They're not surrounded by like five guys guarding them or whatever it is. Everybody just feels so, you know, normal. They're just able to be themselves. And that's another thing we wanted to ask you about. And I guess one of the great perks of being at a, a well-known festival like that is that you, you do get to rub shoulders and come so close to all the cast and the crews of all these different films. You personally posted up some great pictures on social media. Do you have any fun encounters? Any one celebrity stick out to you? Anything that was the talk of the town there? Any one person? Uh, I didn't have as many as my friend Mark Johnson from Award Circuit did. He definitely took great advantage of the weekend to meet with a lot of people, get to converse. I actually ended up <laughs> I actually ended up like in bad situations left and right where I, all the opportunities I would have had to meet people, I wasn't able to do so. Like ships in the night. Well, like my first day there, I arrived pretty late versus everybody else. Some people got there like in the early afternoon and I got there around like nine o'clock at night. So when I got there and unpacked my bags, it was pretty much like time to go to sleep. And then the next day was, you know, off to the races, you know. And then that first day then uh, after I woke up, Basically, there was this brunch they start things off with, and you have to be. I saw that. Yeah, you have to be invited to the brunch. So I didn't get to go to the brunch because it's my first time there, which is totally cool. Sure. But apparently, that's where everybody goes, and that's where you get like a chance to like really, you know, meet a lot of the stars, take some photos, or you know, just converse, whatever it is you want to do. I mean, they're there, you know. So. Uh huh. Uh, And then the other time that's a good opportunity is obviously uh, unless if you go to like some of the parties that are hosted uh, in the evenings, which. Personally speaking, I don't normally do. I'm, I'm there to see the movies at the end of the day. Right. Um, maybe in the future uh, I might, you know, pop in the one. I, I mean, I've been I've been the one or two here and there. But I mean, in all honesty, like I always just mentally am always thinking of oh, if it's taking me away from seeing X, Y and Z right now, you know, and that's how my <laughs> that's how my mind works. But there is on the last day a uh, Labor Day picnic, uh, which takes place on Monday. And it's in the afternoon and a bunch of people uh, gather around and it's once again, another like, you know, kind of public gathering thing. Uh, Unfortunately for me, I did not realize in this very, very secluded part of the mountain that while Lyft and Uber, if you're lucky enough to find a crazy enough driver to take you up there, uh, they (laughs) will take you up there. They won't so much come up there to take you back down. Oh, Jesus. That's a good point. Yeah. So, I mean, what happened? Were you like stranded? Yeah, pretty much. I had no idea how I was going to get home uh, to my uh, plane ride back to New York. I had no idea. And of course, what did I do? I waited until 24 hours before to figure all this out because I just was having so much fun. And the weekend goes by really fast while you're up there. I mean, I was only there for four days. 
at the end of the day. So uh, how, did, how did you get out of it? Did you find someone to tag in with a ride with? or? I mean, I asked and I asked and people were going to different airports here and there. And unfortunately, all the people that were riding that I probably could have gotten a uh, car ride with were going in the opposite direction of what I was doing. Oh, geez. So <laughs> even if I was able to find a Lyft or an Uber at that airport to take me to my airport, right? it would have then been three and a half hours or whatever it might have been, you know? So I ended up doing uh, what any good old American would do, and I took a Greyhound. Good for you. There wow. you go. And it actually it turned out to be super cheap. I think I paid like 24 bucks. I got a seat on the Greyhound, and uh, Sasha Stone from Awards Daily, God bless her, uh, put me in her car, and she personally drove me to where the Greyhound was going to be uh, picking us up, which for her was only an eight-minute drive out of town, but had I walked it, it would have taken me an hour and a half to walk. Oh, jeez. So it's, I mean, it really is. This town is in the middle of nowhere is what you're saying. It's just shut off from all society. Pretty much. Uh, and it's it's not that big either. You know, uh, the distance between uh, the two theaters that are furthest apart from one another, I mean, you could very easily walk it in 18 minutes, maybe even less if you hoof it. You know, I'm a New Yorker. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I can definitely walk pretty darn fast. Right. And the first day I got there, I remember it was like, you know, it was pretty hot out. I mean, that's the other thing, too, is that the weather, it was like a high of like 80. And then in the evenings, it would go down to like 48. So you would dress sometimes for the hot weather and then be freezing at night or you would dress for the cold weather at night and be dying of sweat during the day. So you were just experiencing everything in this magic. This sounds like you were in Shyamalan's The Village. Oh, just man. Like in I'm a, telling in you, it, it was a blast, though. There's no other place I would rather have been. So like my first day there, I decided, you know what I'm going to do? Uh, I got some time to kill. I, I'm not doing anything right now. The screenings don't start for like three hours or something. I'm going to walk from this theater on the other, on one edge of town, all the way to the other side, just so that I know what that feels like. Smart. So that this way, when I am truly running between screenings with like a half an hour gap in between, and I got to get there in a certain amount of time, I'll, I'll know what it feels like to like actually rush it, you know? And uh, yeah, no, so I did, I did all that and uh, ran into a bunch of friends along the way. Uh, Scott and Ashley Menzel, uh, great, great people, love them, uh, saw them. They were giving me some uh, tips of the trade. Uh, tricks of the trade, rather, telling me, uh, you know, things to do, things not to do. And one of the things that you always should do is you should make sure that you're stocking up on food, water and sleep, which <laughs> I'm not kidding. When you go to a film festival, it can definitely go by the wayside, even though it sounds like super essential uh, sleep, especially, you know, like if you decide, OK, I'm going to go to a 11 o'clock screening of X, Y and Z. Cool. You know, that doesn't sound too, too bad. And then by the time you get home and then the high starts to wear off of what you just saw, because obviously right. you're ecstatic and mm -hmm. then you probably start to try and fall asleep. Maybe you have a maybe you have a bad time trying to fall asleep. Who knows? But either way, you got to be up the next morning at like 6 a.m. There's not. I mean, there, I know being a movie critic, you know, it sounds all fun and good. And it sounds like you just sit around and watch films, but there's not enough credit that goes to the actual physical strain. Oh, no, no. But I don't want to I don't want to make it seem like, oh, woe is me or anything like that. Oh, no, no, no. I, I'll no. tell you this right now. I love the struggle and the amount of effort it takes to like do the stuff. But I also know people that don't really do that. You know, they go to their own pace. They mm. maybe call it a night at like eight o'clock or whatever it is. They don't try to cram their entire day from front to back with like five or four screenings a day, you know, whatever it is. Mm. You know, and they uh, they go to the events and they just, you know, kind of relax a little bit. You know, some people are there 
just for the ambiance of it all, you know, and just the um, the environment, if anything, you know, that one gets and, you know, catch a screening or two here and there. You know what I mean? Well, that's one hell of a survival tale, though. You should do a reality special on that. Oh, oh. Buddy, I, I, my best survival tale was my first ever film experience, a film festival experience at Sundance where I had a panic attack and I collapsed in the snow. That is my oh best my experience ever. <laughs> you got a series. Because nobody told me about the altitude. Wow. Nobody told me that, you know, when you're at that high up on a mountain that, you know, water and everything else is super important. And I'll never forget the doctor asking me at the walk-in clinic, what did you eat this morning? Oh, I, uh, you know, I didn't eat. I was going to just try and make it to dinner. Uh, and, yeah. and they were like, all right, what have you drank this morning? I left my water bottle accidentally in the room by mistake. Uh, and then they're like, well, how much sleep have you gotten? Huh? <laughs> but that is, that is such a cinema purist story though. Like I can only watch movies, food and water be damned. It's a transportation. Forget it. I'm watching these five movies in a day. I kind of really respect you for that though, Mike, or Matt, excuse me. I'm used to the other guy's name being Mike. Uh, anyway, <laughs> What were these movie crowds like? Because we hear about this uh, audience. It's a lot of patrons. It's a lot of you know wealthy people, to, to for lack of a better term. A lot of press. Uh, but you had great crowds, though, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, you know, for this kind of festival, what you're really getting is you really are getting, like, the pure cinema lovers at the end of the day. I mean, any film festival, you're going to get that sort of thing, I feel like. But with this one in particular, this one is just so exclusive because you have to actually – you have to actually pay a lot of money to go. Mm -hmm. You know, the the pass alone to go is about like seven hundred and ninety five dollars. Yeah, that's a scary. And that's number. before you find out if you get approved to go as press or not. I mean, you were saying that. I mean, that pass is like not necessary, except that it's absolutely necessary. <laughs> oh, yeah. So if you're like on a shoestring budget or if you're like a young student or whatever it is, who's like freelancing and stuff like this festival costs a bit of money. Like this is this is no joke. I mean, because then you got to pay for your airfare. And remember, it's over the Labor Day weekend. So airfare is spiked tremendously high, depending on also what part of the country you're coming from. Like I'm coming all the way from the East Coast. So for me, it's well over $1,000 for the flight. And then on top of that, you got to pay for the lodging. You know? I mean, th thank God being a movie critic pays so well, no? Yeah, at least that. <laughs> Come on. All right, so can we get into a few of these movies uh, for a hot minute? We've, we've loved your reviews on nextbestpicture.com yes. this week. I well, think I'm not done yet. I still have yeah. some uh, coming, actually. I got to. Uh, <laughs> I got so much I got to do, you know? I, I'm, I, but, but I'll tell you this much. I mean, I'm happy to make time for you guys, uh, well, appreciate if anything. It. Yeah, so. I think you got six up there last I counted. Uh but Telluride, you know, they got a track record for Best Picture winners, Matt. Uh, seven out of the last ten played there. Of the movies you saw, does anything stand out as a possible contender? I, I know you saw a couple of the big ones. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's always really tough like this early on to declare something as a quote-unquote winner right now. There are things that you'll see that will feel like it could be a winner, but as you guys know, the season ebbs and flows and goes through these different stages. And, you know, it's a long haul to get all the way to February right now. So, I mean, as of right now, at this time, I mean, like when I was at Telluride, I, I mean, I saw quite a bit of movies there uh, for sure. And there are some that I'll see in the coming days that I missed there uh, that did also play at the festivals. But I'll see them like uh, elsewhere at another festival. Um, like Portrait of a Lady on Fire was one I was actually most upset to miss. Mm. And that's something that like I'm dying to see. But I know NYFF is playing it in a few days, so I'll I'll catch it there. But like I man, you know, all right, so take this with a grain of salt. But <laughs> I would say right now the top 
four movies that probably could be Best Picture nominees okay. are Ford v. Ferrari. Nice. Marriage Story. Mm-hmm. All right, chalk so far. The Palm Door winner, Parasite. Right, right, right. You are extremely, extremely high on that. I've noticed you've been asking for T-shirts. You keep retweeting the GIF. Dude, it's a perfect movie. Nice. Perfect. Wow. High praise from you. Mr. Neglia. I'm telling you. I, I, yeah, I mean, I'm serious. There's not. It's not often that I see a movie that I'm like, I have no flaws to point out about this movie. But like, this was one of them where when it was over, I was like, Oh my God, that was the most incredible thing. <laughs> well, I, I'll be honest, Matt, like the the can love, the can success that it had was one thing, but seeing how excited it made someone like you, you know, with your caliber of reviews and all that, it certainly has been more, it's raised our expectations for it. We're even more excited to check oh, out. Oh yeah, no, because I'm notoriously very tough. I do not give out 10 out of right. 10s, you know, freely mm. at all. Um, last year was a record for me for 10 out of 10s. I gave uh, three of them. Normally I only give one or two you know, a year. Mm -hmm. That's exciting. So, but I have been told by people that I need to relent a little bit more and give maybe more 10 out of 10s. So, you know, whatever. (laughs) I think stick with the heart. No, stick with the hard grading. People are too willing to to go overboard. I think with sometimes with the grading, you have climbed mountains for these reviews. (laughs) You have been stranded in the wilderness. Right. Give you 10 out of 10s. They were bears. (laughs) I'm not kidding. They said that, yeah, bears come around and I'm like, wait, so what does everyone do? Oh, they run. (laughs) I mean, hey, that's sound advice, right? Well, to be to be honest, the bear's not going to come out if there's like a big gathering of people, you know. So there well, is. Well, maybe he's got an affinity for you know film, but yeah, other <laughs> yeah. than that. But they say like, don't leave your trash out and things like wow. that. Otherwise, was will come in the middle of the night and stuff, and it's like, oh shit. Yeah, <laughs> like, okay. Again, it, it just sounds like solid advice when you just encounter a bear in general. You know, don't have. I, food. I'll admit, I was scared walking home back to the uh, condo at night alone. Sometimes I was, I was definitely a little petrified. <laughs> Uh, the other film, uh, the last film that I'll say, is a film that I think that people who know this director and the caliber of work that they have put out so far with their first two films mm-hmm. maybe had an idea that this was going to be something special. But it's Trey Edward Schultz's third film. Nice. Hmm. Nice waves. I was hoping you'd say that because it seemed like your most pleasant surprise at this festival. 100%. Absolutely. This movie rocked us. All of us who saw it in attendance, none of us were prepared, I don't think, for what a knockout this movie was. So I have to ask you, Kelvin Harrison Jr., having a great year, uh, one of your other favorite movies we just reviewed in Loose, is he better in Waves or in Loose? Can you make that determination? I think he's better in Waves. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah. I Because I, I think in Loose... I, I think that he's playing he's definitely playing a role that I know I've heard some people say that it doesn't feel believable at times. Like it almost feels too um like literary. Yeah, but that's a know? character as well. I mean that's the point. Sure. Yeah. Like like the dialogue and the way that he presents it and stuff like comes off as a tad bit like unbelievable and like a little too contrived, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like I've heard people say that. But in Waves, he's such a 100% like believable character. Um, oh, Siri went off there. Um, Siri agrees with me. Yeah, she, she's <laughs> she big thinks fan. that it's a believable performance as well. And that's the thing about Waves is that like every single actor in this movie, literally every single one, Lucas Hedges, Sterling K. Brown, newcomer uh, Taylor Russell, who is outstanding in this. I mean, 
there is not a single weak performance in this movie. It, it's unbelievably good. And the technicals are amazing. We, I turned uh, to Sasha uh, after the screening was over because she sat next to me during it, and we both just went wow, like when it was over. <laughs> wow! But then we also, but then I also turned to her and I said, "Is this what it felt like when you guys like saw Moonlight here? Mm-hmm. Like this feeling, this feeling of just excitement uh-huh. of like discovery, like oh my god, like that has the power to go all the way, and." You know, uh, the answer is yes. I mean, every single person I know who has seen it was just absolutely floored by it. So was does it have to do more with expectations, do you think? Like, I expect you go into a marriage story thinking you're going to see a high-quality film, and you said how Waves kind of was your, your happy find. It maybe took you by surprise. Do you think expectations play a role with that? You're more blown away by Waves because maybe you're not expecting something so great? Do you think that has anything to do with it? Yeah, I think that I think that definitely I think that definitely has a, an impact. I mean, I remember when I saw Hereditary, uh, the world premiere at Sundance, mm-hmm. no trailer, no marketing material, mm. no idea what I was in for. <laughs> and when I saw that movie, I just was like, oh, my God, that is like the best horror movie I've seen in the last 20 years. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> like I was I was blown away by Hereditary when I saw it, you know, and I think film festivals have the ability to do that with people, especially when there is no marketing to tell you exactly what the vibe of the movie is, what the visuals of the movie are. Nothing like that, you know. So when you're seeing it, it just has this like sensory overload of everything feels new and everything feels um, so I don't know how to describe I almost don't know how to describe it, but I mean, that's the impact that marketing plays on all of us, right? Is that when we watch a trailer for something, we start making comparisons mentally. Okay, it looks like this. Um, and then you start thinking to yourself, all right, well, I like that movie. So it looks like I'll like this. So you know what I mean? And so on and so forth. And you start doing that with yourself. But to actually sit and watch something in real time with no expectations whatsoever, um, the power that that can hold over you is something that can be very, very deeply personal because you're the one making the choice. No one's making the choice for you. I think you're hitting on, and what you said at the beginning of that too, is the value of film festivals in general. Uh, You said that every performance in Waves is very high caliber, and that's what helped make the whole film jump off the screen in general. Was there one performance in Waves that you think was the the, the go-to performance of the film festival that you saw? Is it maybe something from somewhere else? A real standout performance that just jumped off the screen that you want to shepherd people towards and make sure everyone takes notice of? Oh, man. Uh, There's a lot. I would say, man... I mean, I could name one from almost every single movie I saw. Awesome. To that's, that's really cool to hear. It really is. Yeah. You, you get a lot of that when you go to when you go to these. I mean, I would say like for Waves, it's probably Sterling K. Brown. Okay. Uh, nice. Mostly because, you know, I, I think about um, what's the, what the movie where, uh, oh, yeah, it was a long shot where he's like, only two actors have ever made the jump from television over to film. Like George Clooney, <laughs> Woody Harrelson, that, that's kind of it. Yeah. And I think Sterling K. Brown with this performance in Waves, I think that he's making that jump here where he's so real, well respected within television, got his start there, and he's doing a really, really kick-ass job still to this day. But with Waves, man, it's like, you know, yeah, he's going to get cast in a lot more, I think, after this one for Thank sure. God, and I think he stands a good chance at getting a supporting actor nomination for it too. 
I would, I would, I have an awful back, and I will do a backflip if that comes to fruition because we've been begging for him to get more exposure. He's been in our top tens for Black Panther and for a while. Yeah. I mean, he's a lot of. He's even good in Hotel Artemis, and nobody's good in Hotel Artemis <laughs> except for him. Yeah. It's, it's, I agree. He's, that's great news. Okay, we got to ask one negative question though. Was anything disappointing? Were you was anything overhyped in your mind? Uh, did you walk on any screening just saying, uh, not for me? Yeah, there were there were two that come to mind. Um, mm-hmm. All right, so, and and I'm gonna just be very very honest when I say this that I think I'm in the minority on this. So I know history is not on my side when I say this, and I'm very very well aware of that. Just trying so. to ruffle some feathers. I like it out of the box. <laughs> no, Hot take. Here no, we go. No, no, no. You gotta I call just... him like you see him. <laughs> Yeah, like this is just this is me. This is just me talking. I'm sure. not towing the line for anybody or yeah. anything like that. Nobody's paying me to say anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Nothing like that. So Uncut Gems I thought was incredibly incredibly irritating to watch. Wow. Interesting. I could see that though after the the last one the Robert Pattinson movie. See, no, I like that movie. Yeah, I liked it too, but it was, you know, it was hanging on the edge. It was hanging on the edge. Yeah. It was almost too much. I thought Good Time was one of those things where I don't know what it was about that film, but something about that movie really clicked for me and something for Uncut Gems didn't click. Right. And it's very, very similar to Good Time. Obviously, the style of the Safdie brothers, I think, is um, something that you can't deny. They're very, very firmly in control of what it is they're doing. And it's a movie also that I admire mm. more than I uh, definitely like. You know, so things like the editing, the sound, um, the music, like these are all things that I can admire from a technical standpoint that I'm like, yeah, they're doing a really, really good job with this. Adam Sandler's performance in this, I personally think is the best thing he's ever done. Wow. Oh, excellent. And I heard some people tell me he's better in Punch Drunk Love. I think Punch Drunk Love is his second best, and I think this is truly the best thing I've ever seen him do. And yet that wasn't enough to just make it a type of film for you. You just had your issues with it regardless. I'm, I'm mixed on it. Like, I'm not negative on it, okay. but like, I, but I'm also not positive. I'm, like, directly down the middle because there are elements of it that I do like. But let me just put it to you this way. The whole movie, I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit. It's not the whole movie, but a good majority of the movie, like 85% of the movie is – characters yelling at each other Mm. and the dialogue is constantly overlapping with uh the two characters yelling at each other gotcha and there's sometimes like multiple people in a room all trying to like say stuff and they're like the dialogue was like very hard to discern like what was actually being said like you just heard it at after a certain point you just heard just shouting it's just something that would make aaron sorkin cringe is what you're saying (laughs) Yeah. yeah, and the music, uh, while the music is really good as a standalone listen, in the movie itself, the sound mix of it all is so overpowering, like in an interstellar sort of way, mm-hmm. over the dialogue itself. That that also made the dialogue hard to make out. And it really is when people say that the movie is kind of anxiety-inducing and, you know, it really creates like this, um, this sense of like dread to it as you're watching it. It really, really does, but it doesn't in- – irritating annoying way mm. not in a viscerally exciting heart pounding thrilling way and i know some people described it that way but for me it was just more like nails on a chalkboard i just need this to end for the love of god fair enough I, to be fair I, i'll be honest i haven't seen a, a plethora of outpouring of positivity towards that film so that's interesting maybe that's a shared opinion maybe not as far in the minority as you think but what's the other film 
Okay, now this film I liked. I want to preface by saying this. I like this movie. I'm not negative on this movie whatsoever. I think it's the one movie that got a tad bit overpraised. Mm-hmm. And that is The Two Popes. Okay. Mm. <laughs> which I like. I want to make sure I'm very, very clear on this. I like this movie a lot. I did not expect The Two Popes to be as funny as it is. It is hysterically funny. I can't believe that. That's that's No, that's a surprise. That's a yeah. huge surprise. <laughs> Jonathan Price and Anthony Hopkins, you know, they're two very serious men obviously when it comes to their faith yeah, a little bit hopkins more so than price because price is obviously this like reformed uh type of uh catholic who you know is one who's willing to like be a man of the people and you know is very friendly with others and so on and so forth like he doesn't put off like this like almost like smug like entitlement like look to him you know what i mean mm-hmm. And the contrast in both men's personalities like just when they're like chatting i don't know if you've seen in the trailer but when they're like discussing the beatles and he's like telling about Eleanor Rigby and the Yellow Submarine and Anthony yeah. Hopkins just like, that's just ridiculous. You know, like <laughs> it's funny. It's it's actually really, really funny. And I got to give Anthony McCartan a lot of credit. Uh, he has written the screenplays for Theory of Everything, Darkest Hour, Bohemian Rhapsody. Say what you will about a bunch of those movies. The guy knows how to craft a crowd pleasing movie. Very Definitely. true. Definitely. Wow. And I think The Two Popes is a continuation of that. In fact, I actually think that of all of his screenplays, I think it's I think it's possible the two popes might be the best screenplay. Yeah, I probably of all of those, I would say. Interesting. Wow, that's a, that's that's a hot take. I mean, you, I mean, Bohemian, say what you want. It was a very, very big crowd pleaser. Darkest Hour, obviously, having its Oscars lineage like it did. So that's so. Then you, this is a movie you like. So what's where's the where's the over? You just thought it was overpraised. My, my, my thing, my thing lies mostly with Fernando uh, Fernando Morales's uh, direction of the movie. Okay. Uh, I think his direction is like a little too erratic at times. I think like the camera is kind of all over the place um, when it doesn't need to be. Like there were scenes where it's hand it goes in like handheld during a scene where the two of them are just yeah. sitting down and talking, and it just start the camera just starts moving for like no reason. And I'm right. like watching, and I'm like, why is he shooting it this way? Like it like is he doing it for coverage purposes? And like oh we'll figure it out in editing later. Right. Like it, it just it distracted me and it pulled me out of the movie one too many times. Um, and I guess I'm also just not a fan of the overall look of the movie because it almost looks like it was shot very cheaply on digital, like, you know, kind of like the sort of way like documentaries sometimes look mm-hmm. interesting. Uh, when they when they shoot like the live action elements. You know what I mean? That's interesting. Well, I mean, we're going to review it later on in this episode, the trailer, at least not the movie itself, but the trailer we, we were kind of talking beforehand. We're like, well, it seems like it would have high cinematography marks just because they're in such beautiful landscapes and beautiful buildings as it is holding these conversations. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe because of things like, uh, I don't know, maybe because I just like shadows, mm-hmm. you know, and this is just a very, really like high key lit film. Mm-hmm. Ah, that, that, that could be it. Maybe, maybe it's that maybe, it, like I said, it's a me thing, you know? Um, I, I definitely think that all this like best picture talk and stuff like that for the movie, I think might be a little too much though. Right. Honestly, you know, even a movie like Ford v Ferrari, which I want to be able to say will be like a best picture contender, best mm-hmm. director for James Mangold, all these texts, Christian Bale, et cetera, et cetera. Like I want to say all these things, but I have to remind myself that another film that feels like Ford v Ferrari last year was first man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And look how that ended up. So I'm very, very hesitant. And and this goes back to like my style of reviewing. I'm very, very hesitant to just shower praise 
right off the bat, like immediately for something and be like, this is the greatest thing ever. Uh, this is easily my favorite thing. And like, you know, it's going to get everything, you know, all the awards, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm, I'm just not that person. All, I, I all you're doing right now is making me more excited to see Parasite. <laughs> because if you're not that type of person and you are that high and waves, that movie, for that matter. Right, and waves yeah true yeah. that's very true so we wanted to end with the, like the big fish probably the story of the weekend in, in terms of many people's thinking marriage story uh you mentioned it earlier in your review uh you compared it to blue valentine and revolutionary road i i'll let our fans read that comparison but should we still bring all the tissues to this one matt no Good. Because while I do think that there are some devastating moments in mm. Marriage Story that are comparable to Revolutionary Road and Blue Valentine, I do want to let people know one thing that the trailer doesn't really give off, I don't think, mm -hmm. is that the movie is actually really funny. Oh, thank God. Yeah. And it's not a depressing doom and gloom movie like those other two are. That is not the impression we got from the trailers, to oh, be honest. Thank goodness. Yeah. yeah, good. There is a complexity to this movie that I really, really appreciated because these are two people that I found to be very relatable precisely because they were fully three-dimensional human beings with positive qualities and flaws. I mean, the beginning of the movie, uh, just like you've seen in the teaser trailers, they're listing off the positive qualities of one another, the reasons why they fell in love with each other in mm. the first place. And as the film moves on, you start to see why they have flaws and you start to see the cracks in their relationship and why it has led to this moment. And I, I definitely think that the way that we get there is one that is filled with enough surprises, enough nuance, and also to, yes, Initially, like while you're watching it, you kind of get this feeling, I think, in the moment that this is a 50-50 split film in terms of their perspectives. And I do think in terms of the argument that one has against the other for how the other is, I do think it is evenly split in that regard. But I would say it's about 60-40 of the movie is uh, predominantly told from Adam Driver's perspective. I feel like he has more uh, POV scenes than Scarlett Johansson does. But like I said, I definitely think in terms of the characters' viewpoints towards one another, um, that doesn't mean that Adam Driver's character is the one that we are sympathizing with completely. Like he does not get off scot-free in this at all, mm -hmm. you know? So I definitely think that the film does a great job of balancing that. And so there's a delicate uh, balancing act there that I really, really liked. It's really, really funny. There's one scene in the movie in particular that is just so <laughs> – so surprisingly funny that I, I it just had my audience just completely howling Good. with laughter. And then there is this argument scene between the two of them that is it in the teaser? Nah, I don't think so. And I, eh, maybe it is. It doesn't matter. But bottom line is there's an argument scene between the two of them that I think is one of the best argument scenes in the history of cinema. Oh, wow. That's thrilling to hear. I got to put you on the spot, though. Can't help it because we've talked about this other movie so much. Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or Adam Driver in Marriage Story. Who's uh, higher on the list or do we got to wait for your top fives to come out next week? Adam Driver is higher on my list right wow. now. How dare you? How dare you, sir? <laughs> and, I'm always, and, I'm, and I'm saying this because I, 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 I can tell you this much. I don't know if I would be saying that if Leo hadn't won. Yeah. I've heard that from oh, so many people oh, oh. this week, and I don't understand that argument. 
It's because it's really, really hard to win a second one. Yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> I know. Uh, oh, you're breaking and my I'm, heart. And I'm, and I'm a spread the wealth kind of guy. I think that's where a lot of the mindset goes. When I take it, when I take this stuff into consideration, like, I mean, I remember last year with friends of McDormand and uh, not last year, but two years ago with friends of McDormand and three billboards. Yeah, I wasn't like officially ready to declare that over because I kept thinking Sally Hawkins could win the BAFTA. Or, you know, Margot Robbie could win, you know, this, you know, and I kept thinking all it takes is for one of those other ladies to win another award. And I still like and and, and even then I would I would be hesitant to pick Frances McDormand. But the fact that she swept that that season with the big awards. Yep. Then it was like, okay, I'm finally picking Frances McDormand. I've given up like this is what because because like I said, it's it's a second Oscar thing. Yeah. When it comes to winning your second Oscar, Mm -hmm. especially in a lead category, like you have to be undeniable. You got to be Daniel Day Lewis or Meryl. You got to be Kate Blanchett and Blue Jasmine. Like you need to just be undeniable. And that was and that was a very competitive year, uh, that best actress field, you know, I, I so, was on the record saying I think we're going to look back at that race in particular in like 10 years and just be stunned by how good how much we got out of those three in one single year. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you're right on. You're breaking my heart over the Leo thing, but I'm sure that's something we'll discuss and argue about. <laughs> uh, you know what? There'll be other op- there'll be other opportunities for Mr. DiCaprio. Yeah, I'm sure. yeah. <laughs> sure. Driver, that was really having a year. I mean, the report also True. played a tell you ride. Did you now? Did you see the report? I saw the report at Sundance okay. earlier this year. If you're going to see one driver performance, you're saying marriage story over the report? Yes. Okay. Good to know. But but see both, though. See both. He's excellent in both. Exciting to hear. I mean, Matt, again, we can't thank you enough for all you've done for us and for hopping on with us specifically for this episode. Just want to say thank you once again to Matt Neglier from Next Best Picture. Obviously, you can go read his work. Do go check that out, nextbestpicture.com. Matt, you want to give any plugs? What are you guys working on? What's coming next from Next Best Picture this week? What can people expect to find on the site or here in the podcast? Yeah, uh, so I'm located over at nextbestpicture.com. Podcast is called the Next Best Picture Podcast, where we're always looking for the next best picture Oscar winner. We do it as 365 days a year, year round. We review every week. We talk every week. We do everything you could possibly imagine. And we're always trying to do a little bit more as well in the world of Broadway theater, as well as television with the Emmys. You know, we're trying to broaden our horizons to other award shows as well, because at the end of the day, we love entertainment. And we also love being able to find what is going to be that next best picture. Maybe not the Oscar winner, but what is that like that discovery? What is going to be that next best find within entertainment that is going to get us excited? That's what we do. Well, thanks so much for coming on today, Matt. We really appreciate it. You gave us extra time and uh, I just can't thank you enough, man. Appreciate it. No. Thank you, Mike's. Appreciate it. <laughs> right. Thanks a lot, bud. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. Our thanks to Matt Neglia of Next Best Picture, as always. We're used to him doing a great job over on his site and his podcast, mm-hmm. and he, of course, did the same for us here, and it's really cool to get a first-hand account of what went on at the Telluride Film Festival, not one that either one of us have ever been to. I'm sure mm-hmm. not one that a lot of people uh, have been able to go to, so it's nice of him to kind of lay out what it was like and what the experience was, and great job by him, and we thank him, and thank him very much for giving us uh, part of his night here. Yeah, we really appreciate it. We love their work. We reference it 
constantly sure. for a reason, Mike. Absolutely. And he's our first guest for a reason. Yeah, so and we'd fun. like, I, this is a good time to propose that. The idea with this is hopefully we are hoping to get more experts on in the future and have their get their two cents in, not only on film festivals, but on the Oscar picture in general. Something to keep an eye on for future Oscar race checkpoint episodes for you. That is our hope and that is our plan going forward and we hope to be able to do that for you uh, more often. And that was the first guest and a great first guest to have as always. Thank you to Matt once again. We'll move on here with other Oscar race and Oscar centric and awards season centric material as we cover some trailers that came out this week, Michael, and some of them are being seen for the second time, their second trailers uh, debuting. Yeah, Jojo Rabbit's second trailer came out. I thought this was much better than the first, but in both we get great cinematography. You know, they're burning books. They're yeah. uh, they're in the woods. I love everything in the woods. Some great stills from those as well. They're finding Thomas and Hardcourt McKenzie in the crawl space and that hiding spot there, Mike. And we're getting more plot in this trailer as well, which you typically get in trailer two. There was certainly more of an arc, a story arc being shown in this one as opposed to the first one. I'm a believer with sung in German. You know, we can be heroes by David Bowie <laughs> sung in German. Those both made me chuckle. It's a much more socially conscious movie than I thought we were going to get, or at least that the first trailer proposed we that we were getting. We I mean, hope. like you said, this is like a, a Jewish girl in the walls of a house. Right. A young 10-year-old Hitler youth finds him and has this conflict of self and persona with wes anderson dialogue right and <laughs> typical taika watiti dialogue it's it's very strange because it does feel like a wes anderson movie it really ways. does yeah especially with the music i mean the bowie yeah. music my god the tension that they're dealing with <laughs> right they're making jokes yeah. throughout some of the highest tension in history mm -hmm. never mind uh in, in film we get some funny lines all the way through it. You know, Mackenzie's pulling them off. Sam Rockwell is, is combining words with a German accent, like blowing stuff up. <laughs> I had to, like, replay it the first time. I didn't know what he was saying. But seeing this trailer, my thought is, like, what is Disney... I mean, so Disney's just never going to make a Nazi movie then, or a movie featuring Hitler. This is the most yeah. Disney-fied take on yeah. Nazism. There are kids, Mike, accidentally blowing up buildings. Yeah, So, uh, but I mean, like, it's true to life in some aspects. Yeah, but they also, you know, so have Disney an just industry. doesn't want to acknowledge they have real a, life. They have a conglomerate, Mike, <laughs> a media conglomerate that is kid-centric. And we got kids blowing up buildings in the middle of uh, World War II here. I mean, if this doesn't work for Disney, we're never going to get that type of movie. That is, yeah. I don't get that take at all because I think this is a movie that particularly doesn't work for Disney I, I because disagree. it's a kid's it's satire. Fun. There's, there's, there's levity to it. There's, there's Hitler's, a, Hitler's an imaginary friend, and right. they have entire. <laughs> franchise is built on imaginary friends and this is a hitler imaginary friend yeah like jiminy cricket wasn't racist <laughs> the two popes also had a first trailer debut for us this week mike there's a lot of conflict here and i should have seen it coming because the pope is like a one-man job and <laughs> there apparently are two of them yeah yeah that's true that's an accurate take <laughs> Love the talk about how Francis is one of Benedict's main critics, right? Mm -hmm. Where you live is a criticism. Even your shoes are a criticism. There's a whole soliloquy from Anthony Hopkins here. It really works. It sets up this, you know, butting of heads. And I thought it, the back and forth was excellent. Now you have an issue, though. Yeah. You have these two larger-than-life legacy actors. Yeah. And the scenes they pick for this trailer for me, there's not a lot of, you know acting going on and coming out of these festivals all the buzz is ratcheted up right for these actors and yet we're not seeing those oscar real scenes in this we got one little glimpse of anthony hopkins yelling mm -hmm. we got pope uh 
Jonathan Price. <laughs> Pope Price. I'm going to hell. We have Pope Price, <laughs> Pope Francis, excuse me, you know, in a bar cheering for his World Cup team in the soccer, you know. Soccer. Which is more believable. Yeah. Pope Francis is said to be more down to earth and realistic in real life. Pope Benedict was much Jesuits, more Jesuits, baby. Right. Much yeah. more by the book. The Jesuits Maybe a the... Hitler youth himself. Mike, let's be real. The Jesuits are the coolest Catholics. <laughs> okay. Is that how it is? That's I the hierarchy so. of Catholics? I, I'm Jesuit educated, so I, th- I like to think that. <laughs> right. But my, they're filming in the Sistine Chapel. That's got to be points for the location scouts, if not cinematography, right? If the favorite gets those points built into its cinematography bid last year, mm-hmm. then I don't understand if you're going to the most beautiful building on <laughs> the history yeah, of the earth happen? you how gotta have something they there. just went to the, like humphrey's castle and they filmed it <laughs> right and exactly. it looks and they got good for it because they put candles in the right spots like hey you know we'll get a nomination if we do something a little <laughs> unique here fisheye lenses whole movie every master shot boom but yeah we're, we're, we're filming at this castle simple math it, the, even the punchline for this trailer though mike it yeah. makes no sense to me I mean, at least it doesn't seem like a real trailer punchline for an awards contender. i had to replay it as well same here I played it like four or five times. Apparently, Anthony Hopkins, Pope Benedict, goes out saying, God always likes to correct one pope by another pope. I'd like to see my correction. Now, I could argue that's also not ominous enough for this sort of the tone yeah. of this trailer, but regardless, just listening to it and just the logistical input of it into he's my mumbling. ears. He's mumbling. <laughs> he's yeah, mumbling. He's mumbling. That's not a punchline for a trailer. That's not like the David Caruso CSI Miami putting on the sunglasses and then we hear the who screaming. You know, that's not a good line. So I was bizarre trailer to me. I wasn't very high on it, to and be yet, honest with you. And yeah, it's getting a lot of buzz coming sure out of film festivals, so we're going to have to look out for it. We talked about Netflix's new release schedule that we were surprised about. Two weeks in theaters, that's it. So we're getting this pretty quick, Mike. Yeah, can't wait to see it. Very interested for it, and this certainly heightens up the expectations that we have. As well, we're getting a movie that we thought might be coming out in 2020. Looks like it's going to be under the gun and coming out Christmas time this year. Just Mercy. Yeah, director Dustin Daniel Cretton of Short Term 12, the upcoming Shang-Chi. This looks powerful. Mm-hmm. He's handled these heavy dramas really well before. And yet The Glass House, he didn't handle so well based on the critic. I didn't see it. I didn't see it either. Larson. You're right. It kind of fell flat. But you were a huge advocate of Short Term 12. Short Term 12 was a top three for me that year. I forget if it was two or three. I loved it. And these performances look really strong from Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx, and Brie Larson once again. Yeah, Foxx and Larson to me were the two yeah. that jumped off the screen. Michael B. Jordan's playing this attorney trying to get Jamie Foxx out of prison. He goes to this poor, kind of desolate black community, and people are grateful to have his help. And Brie Larson is a social justice warrior fighting on his fight of civil liberty, civil liberty, and she's very excited to help Michael B. Jordan as well. To me, Larson like and Fox, like I said, they seem to be the they could be the ones jumping off the screen, could be possible contenders. And if we add Brie Larson with Meryl Streep in a supporting actress race, I think that would be you know, we just start having the makings of an all timer there for supporting actress. That would be awesome. We'll what, see if it actually happens. What's kind of strange is that this plot line is like the same as Charlie says which is about Charlie Manson and the girls in the Manson cult. <laughs> it's really strange because I just watched that movie last night. I'll give you my review, I guess, right now. Yeah. There's like four orgies in the first 20 minutes. And obviously this movie's not going to do that, but that's what's, you know, in my brain. And right. I'm like, but you're not comparing, like, you're not saying this is that. But it's the same plot line, <laughs> and now I'm totally screwed up. But I do think Jamie Foxx has got some Oscar real scenes in this trailer alone. He's gotten a lot of hype, too, immediately off of it. Hopefully no orgies that ruin the tone of the movie. Right. So we should be good to go. It should be, you know, have, it should have a puncher's chance at some Oscar momentum. However, 
we have seen dramas with kind of on-the-nose dialogue sure. go wrong before with the big emotional music. And this is definitely hitting some heavy notes. Well, not only that, but also this release frame, this Christmas time release of an issue movie, has not been very good to presumed Oscar contenders in the last couple of years. Yeah. It's not to say the movies themselves haven't been good, but they've been coming out, and the expectation has been that they would compete, and they usually end up falling flat, both at the box office and falling short of expectations the, as far as enjoyment. The calendar is shrinking. Everything is starting to get pushed up a little bit in terms of all the voting deadlines, and last year we saw If Beale Street Could Talk. That didn't get seen. Yep. until very late in the game there yeah. was like a blip on the radar there where you had if Beale Street could talk not getting nominated by the SAGs probably because no actors saw it did do well enough to procure a supporting actress win obviously but in the last couple last three years alone downsizing welcome to Marwin yeah. on the basis of sex Miss Sloan these are stuff you know maybe they sprinkled in some nominations across the award yeah. season but they weren't didn't live up to their Oscars potential I and would yet, say Phantom Thread comes out very late, and that hits on all cylinders. Mm -hmm. Cold War comes out very late, and that gets a crossover noms, and we, we thought it may be a uh, Best International Film nom. So it has a chance, but... Sure, you're... sure. I mean, we, we won't know until we see it, obviously, which is kind of a lame review thing to say, but it's true. <laughs> One of the YouTube comments, very first comments on the trailer for this on the YouTube channel I watched was, so Captain Marvel and Killmonger bail Electro out of Death Row. I'd see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. We are over-Marvelized. Yeah, we we're over-marvelized, and that's how we should end every trailer review, I think. So we're like, Just comparing it to what the yeah. MCU equivalent MCU, would be. MCU, <laughs> yeah, bottom line, that, that's the way it's going. And just wait till Dune and The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, and, and what Tenet. Was the other one? Tenet, yeah. <laughs> All the ones with everybody. Yeah. Emma also had its first look come out for us this week, Michael. Yeah, Pablo Lorraine, he gets movies nominated. No, Jackie, uh, Neruda... I'm mispronouncing one of those words, I'm sure. Probably Jackie. Probably. Uh, they've been nominated for Oscars and a Golden Globe. Jackie, I think, was nominated for three Oscars. Mm -hmm. The 64 meta score on Emma here is much lower than the 81s and 82s of those previous three films, though. And I probably gave you a number <laughs> headache right there. Uh, but look, we get this dance music score. We have this dance music troupe led by Mariana D. Gioramo. There you go. Gorlami. Gorlami. <laughs> and there's style to burn in this trailer. This is how I know <laughs> I'm still an immature teen on the inside. <laughs> uh, one, Tom DeLonge is the greatest singer-songwriter of this generation, according to me. Okay, interesting. Two... <laughs> I can't see these types of trailers and not immediately make fun of them in my head. And it makes me a bad person. It are makes they, me... Are they dancing too hard? Is it step it's up It's like the out of nowhere. They just yeah. start doing this choreographed dance in the middle of streets and trains and stuff. I think that's their thing, though. They're, like, flash mobbing it, but... And I would make fun of those people were I to see them in real life as well. <laughs> and again, it makes me a bad person. I'm trying to work my way out of this. I understand these are all negative attributes of mine, but no. I can't help it. So if a flash mob happens in a mob of people, that's right. okay. But if you're just, like, for the good of art... Exactly, yeah. Starting yes. your own choreographed dance. I get to make fun of you. In the wilderness? Yes, yeah. Exactly that. how it goes. <laughs> You're a loser, is what I would think. I know that makes me a loser. I understand. This is not good. I'm completely on top of that. But the techno beat love song, the yeah. interludes of numerous dance numbers out of nowhere in the middle of the street, while people are seem to be having very serious conversations in a language which I do not understand with no subtitles, this was not a trailer for you me. You didn't see the subtitle trailer? 
No, there was a subtitle trailer. Yeah. Oh, I, I got nothing. I was just <laughs> I was watching people express and emote. No subtitles. Oh. Language I didn't know. Random dancing out of nowhere and bopping and weaving. Was that the? Link I was I gave off you? of it. I, I think it was. I, I think it was. I clicked on that. Yeah. I I was I was just laughing. Whoops. Well, I <laughs> saw the dialogue and it's batshit and it's fun and it's crazy. So good. Good. I'm glad I was able to, to read that. that and maybe I wasn't staring at the flash mobbing. But Mike uh, Gael Gar. Garcia Bernal, Mozart in the Jungle. I'm used to him from that movie. I know you. we just right. seen him in The Kindergarten Teacher. Right. But he's kind of that wacky teacher, that artsy teacher nowadays. He's playing that often enough where I could see him just taking that music troupe to the streets. <laughs> what I does that it. mean? I could see him taking that music troupe to the Look. streets. <laughs> I could just see, like, the middle of Fight Club happening in this movie. And his Everything. name was... What was his name? Meatloaf's name? <laughs> oh, Robert God. Paulson. Robert Paulson. There I go. Everything, I I everything breaks down to sharks and jets. It, it, it basically is. But here's the thing with the trailer. Like, you get some chatter about crimes being committed. Like, you couldn't I read this. I wouldn't know this. Because they're talking to each other. Do you want me to commit a crime? I'll commit a crime for you. If you're some, There's a line like that. And they're talking about this crazy shit. And there's flamethrowers. We didn't even mention the flamethrowers yet in the trailer. You remember the episode of Sunny where yeah. they go to their high school reunion and they get all drugged out of their mind <laughs> and they think they're performing this beautiful choreographed <laughs> dance and then it flashes to reality and they're just all drunk and sweaty and hot swaying and yelling? Yeah. That's what I think is going on. It's here. like the beer fest, scene. right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, <laughs> one of those crushing it in the bar. Right. And he's just got a paper bag on his <laughs> right, head. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know. Listen, you don't have to tell oh, me I'm bad for this. I understand that. I can't believe. I've come you. to terms with it. The freaking Emma trailer did this to us. Again, it might be pronounced Emma for all we know. We it don't could know. be an Oscar winner for it all. It could I know. be an Oscar winner, and we are giggling idiots. <laughs> Let's go to some other film festival news that we have to cover this week. Terry Gilliam's going to receive a lifetime. Oscar honor at the Cairo Film Festival. Yes, Monty Python, Fear and Loathing, The Fisher King, Brazil, 12 Monkeys. I love all those films. Even Fisher King back in the day. I think if I rewatched Fisher King, I wouldn't like it as much. I feel I have not seen that movie in decades. It's a oh, I love that it was about shock jocks and yeah. they were real pricks, you know, and then the shock jock makes friends with the homeless guy yeah. and it's really strange and he's legitimately crazy. And it's fascinating with the whole Probably ride. wouldn't hold up, though, yeah. Probably yeah. doesn't hold up. Anyway, I was wondering, what what's your favorite Gilliam film? Did you go on a kick with his, his stuff like I did? or I'm a huge Monty Python guy. Good. It was one of the first like comedic troops my father showed me when I was a little kid. I took right to it. I loved it. Um, not so much with Brazil and the Fisher King. Wasn't really a big fan. 12 Monkeys, I think, is like a rite of passage for any white male going to college. Yeah. Right? Like, you ha you don't get your degree unless you've checked off that you've watched Pulp Fiction, Clockwork Orange, 12 Monkeys, and Seven. Like, that's how you know yeah. you, then you're allowed to graduate, I For feel our like. generation. Right, yeah. I mean, exactly, it, yeah. A different yeah. generation, it'll be something else. Um, Hopefully, like, Knives Out works its way in there in five years. We'll just see. the eight-hour Halloween Kills movie that we're going to get in a couple years. Oh, let's do it. <laughs> um, I will say, a big fan of Python, like I said, though, The Holy Grail. Top five hardest I've ever laughed at a movie, and it's the yeah. most <laughs> innocuous part of the film. I think I've told this story once before, but if I haven't, just as a means of recap, at the beginning of The Holy Grail, they go through all the credits of the movie. Yeah. And it's an extended opening intro. You see every credit. I'm like, I remember sitting there, I'm like, why are they doing this? This is usually at the end of the film. You watch the film, movie ends, and then there's just a black screen 
for as long as the credits should be, but because they already showed them, it's just a black screen right. with music playing. I la I was la dying, absolutely dying laughing at like 12 years old the first time I saw this. I thought it was the smartest and funniest thing ever. It's such simple comedy. I love it. They're the goofiest idiots in the world. Yes. We love them for And it. they get to make a legacy out of it. It's unbelievable. Good for them. <laughs> and, and go on Netflix. They got like all the Monty Python stuff mm -hmm. up there. I was watching Best Bits the other day, and there's another setup to a great joke where like they do this big thing where they're all like getting ready to have this old foo foo, you know, meeting of the minds, mm -hmm. and they're like one on one side, and they're all dressed in period piece attire, and next thing you know, they're just like mud wrestling. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have ridiculous. a self defense course, and they're one of the classes is what do you do if your attacker comes at you with a banana, and the answer to that is that you shoot him in the gut, oh, and then you eat the banana. <laughs> Just absurd. So we're Love just going to describe Monty Python right. for the rest of the episode <laughs> and laugh with faces that are so red and awkward because we can't get the punchlines right. Let's keep going. Yeah, you get it, right? <laughs> no. This is fun for you, listener. All right, so the Toronto Film Festival. We wanted to do like a miniature preview of that here, Mike. But I wanted to talk about this really awesome Slash Film article that I found, and it's a streamer's guide because there's 300 films coming out in Toronto, but Marshall Schaefer talked about 10 that you can watch pretty much right now, whether it's on Netflix and Hulu or Amazon, you got to buy it on Amazon or iTunes or something like that. So here they are. I mean, Just Mercy is going to be out soon. You're going to have Radioactive, Bad Education, Emma. You will have subtitles for Emma or Emma. I won't Ema. see that movie with it's the subtitles. You, you just want to watch I'm it. predisposed now. I need to just watch just what watch happens. Just watch it regularly. Just <laughs> let it flow. Guns Akimbo, Jungle Land, Pelican Blood, Synchronic, Wet Country, and The Country. So, wet Country and The Country. Here's my way. question to you about the future of film. We yeah. talked about how the Academy has talked about how they want to make an Academy-only streaming service to make it easier for the members of the Academy to access the nominated films, mm -hmm. or at least the you know the shortlist films. Do you think that becomes a public offering for is 50 bucks at the Is this where we're going? Yeah, I mean, does this happen? Are these Is this going to be an easier way to access films that you may not see otherwise or you have to pay $8 for a license of VOD anyway? Is there going to be some streaming service tied to some film festival, maybe a conglomerate or a union of film festivals come together, to offer this where they put lesser known. I mean, obviously, you're not going to put, like, knives out on this if it's going to have a big theatrical release anyway. The way it's going, yes. I mean, the short so? answer is yes, the way it's going. I don't think it's happening soon. No, I, I don't either. that the Academy would be one of the last holdouts. I would, as, I would assume so, except unless they're able to do it in, like, secret, which I don't think they'd be able to pull off. Yeah. But if they were able to just keep it to just Academy members and, you know, we're going to take these films off immediately, that type of thing. But I... I think there's money there, no? For junkies like there's you money and I, there. who yeah. can't make it to all these film festivals, we want to see as many of these as we can, don't we, anyway? So this kind of makes... I, I'd pay 20 bucks a month for it. Well, just remember how we were spending last February and January. Right. We're going all over creation. Right. We're going seven towns away to see movies... Exactly. Th ...that were coming out. And yeah. it may be an they easier way nominated. for these films that you know only rely on the licensing fee to get a little bit more money. I don't know. I don't know the financials of it. I don't know the difficulty of putting together an independent film and selling it to film festivals. I don't know how that you know pays off for those type of movies. But I would think you'd want as many people to see the property as you can, and that could be an easy way to do it. Then again, all the buzz these Netflix films are getting, it may just be happening organically. Right. It's true, too. could just be... Uh, 
we all live in a Netflix world. Last point on this though, the TIFF uh, free streaming on TIFF.net is pretty cool too. You can watch all the press conferences and red carpets live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. So go to TIFF.net and uh, hit the live button for Live 19. You'll you'll find all that stuff. Yeah, as amazing as Matt made Telluride sound and the, the experience that he had, we said here before, TIFF is like huge it's 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 one of our favorite to learn about and read yes. about and we would love to be able to go someday and I, I think that's one that appeals to the widest base of movie fans and Definitely. critics alike so uh that'll be awesome to see yeah final story here we got four new best international film selections by their countries parasite for south korea so that's a no-brainer right makes sense this is a relief in a way that they're not going in a different direction mm -hmm. but this film has bigger aspirations than that one category they're sure. looking at actor director screenplay who knows maybe even cinematography that could happen after seeing that trailer so we're in for that we're going to review this film at some point can't wait michael spain wound up picking almodovar's pain and glory over bunuel and that labyrinth of turtles it's a damn shame isn't it? It's a damn No, nothing about that movie other than its title. I just know it's a damn shame. I think these are the two obvious ones, and you're right. I mean, it's, yeah. it makes most sense and good for them for picking. Sometimes the obvious answer is the right one. I would assume these are also the right ones to go with. It is going to be very, very interesting to see how their distribution companies campaign these for different categories. We know Almodovar's Pain and Glory already won a Best Actor Award at, uh, what was it, Sundance? Can. 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 Yeah. Can. I'm sorry. Thank you. Can. Uh, so are they going to push that Antonio Banderas performance for Best Actor as oh, well? Oh, they got it, right? You would think. Yeah. Uh, Parasite, you rattled off a bunch of categories. I wonder if they think it could be a player in Best Picture as well. I do. Go for the biggest one there. So mm -hmm. that's going to be interesting. Neon has the rights to Parasite, as well as A Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I'm pretty sure, a couple other international films. So it's going to be interesting to see how Neon handles it. Sony Classics is handling Almodovar's Pain and Glory for U.S. distribution. Uh, like I said, I think it's, they're the obvious ones, but uh, they're ones I'm certainly most excited to see. Unfortunately, it's the same story we had with Roma. It's going to be the same story coming up in this next piece we're talking about. I think those two are such monsters for international film, like Roma was for international film last year. Mm -hmm. I don't think anything else really is going to have a chance outside of those of the, two in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Because of the notoriety. Right. I mean, they've already done so well. They already have such a precedent oh, and a legacy. I wonder if things have changed from the way they used to be. Because, again, like the ones with notoriety, the mm -hmm. films with notoriety, would typically get snubbed just like documentaries, you know. They, right. You know. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, won't you be my neighbor? Get snubbed in the documentary category, super popular. And years ago, it, to me at least, all the Golden Globe noms would not be nominated for the Oscars in the best international so, film category. Are you saying you think we're shifting the Academy is starting to shift to a more populist take anyway? I do. Yeah, I, I, th I think, think I agree with they're that. They're getting there. I think that's the way you know people are campaigning and the way the dollars and cents are moving around it's i wonder if it's more and i don't know how anyone would answer this but i wonder if it's due more to just you know the widening academy or if it's due more to the popular film quote-unquote imperative that the academy tried stuffing down everyone's throats last year and this mm -hmm. is a severe backlash to it we have marvel films nominated for best picture we have logan making a screenplay run we have all kinds of international films making cinematography bids across the i'm board. not against it yeah me either i'm, I'm not against it so the other two films hungry selected those who remain a 16-year-old girl and a middle-aged doctor connect in Budapest after World War II. Each morning, their families lost in concentration camps. Jesus, that's, yeah, that's heavy. heavy. And Uruguay picked Money Changer, or The Money Changer, spanning the 50s to the 70s. The film follows Humberto as he gets increasingly in over his head with multiple shady book-cooking schemes. You hearing this, Michael? Throughout South America... 
you're going to get his legs broken, Michael. You hear this? Leading to the ultimate life and death decision. You get that? You, you heard the word death in that premise, right, Mike? You like the Packers tonight? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, this scene, this, the money changer, seems like a dramedy about a man trying to live by No, life. it's not a dramedy. Well, it's a heavy well, drama. Funny. Did you watch? The trailer was kind of funny. There were some funny moments. Kind of funny. <laughs> it's just my sick twist I'm trying to take a. T- I'm trying to take a hard line. Trying to on help you. a friend. I'm trying to help you. Uh, again, though, it's like what I just talked about. I don't see. First of all, in this trailer alone, I didn't really see any hearing it quacking like a duck. And compare it to what we know about Almodovar's Pain and Glory, what we know about Parasite already, and uh, Portrait yeah. of a Lady on Fire, etc. Et right, cetera. exactly. Yeah. I just don't see the comparison there. And it might get left by the wayside there, unfortunately. All right, so so to close out, Mike, let's just remind some people of some Toronto Film Festival debuts. Jojo Rabbit, Dolomite Is My Name, Harriet. We're going to hear our first buzz on Harriet coming up. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood and Knives Out, The Goldfinch, and Just Mercy, which trailer we reviewed earlier. They also will be available to the masses soon, but they're debuting at TIFF. So... We're going to cover it all next week and, and those first reactions. Of those top five, Michael, Jojo Rabbit, Dolomite, Harriet, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Knives Out, a lot of contenders, a lot of entertaining films there. What are you most excited to hear about? I'm most excited to hear about Harriet. Still Harriet. I, mean, I think Harriet's got the biggest upside. It's got the highest ceiling, right? I, I mean, would agree. Everybody would, was talking about that as a best picture contender, best actress, certainly. Yeah. So, yeah, I yeah. would say that one. Excited for Knives Out, too. I, I hope Knives Out is more than we think it will be. I hope it takes it all. Yeah, me too. I'm That'd just so fun. in for that one. Yeah, well, so that's, that's your Oscar race checkpoint for this week, setting you up to let you know, again, these film festivals are coming fast and furious, and it will never stop until we finally hit that holy land of Oscar Sunday. We will be with you every week along the way. Our thanks once again to Matt Neglia. Definitely go check out nextbestpicture.com. They currently have up right now their review of It Chapter 2, which goes right in line with with our review of It Chapter 2, we will have your It Chapter 2 award show review show for you later <laughs> this weekend. If I can say that once, I'll never be able to say it again. But that'll be coming out from us for your listening pleasure at some point this weekend. And then, of course, we're right back to doing MMO Weekly and all that kinds of fun stuff. But we want to hear your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about anything we talked about here in the Oscar Race Checkpoint episode and anything else going on in the MMO Empire. You can leave those at us at Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram, MMM. And Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We're available everywhere you hear podcasts, including and especially Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. If it's even still called iTunes, I don't know because Apple said they're getting rid of <laughs> iTunes. But if you go to your Apple Podcasts, go to the podcast app on your iPhone, uh, tap in the lower right-hand corner, search, type in Mike, Mike, and Oscar and submit. You will be able to see our logo. Just tap on that. Scroll down once. You'll be able to leave us a five-star reviews. We are still trying to get as many of those as we can. 200 is the magic number. And if if you want to take 30 seconds to do a good deed and feel good about yourself for the day, that's an easy way to do it, and we will thank you forever for yes, doing thank so. You. Thank you. I think I did that all in one breath. That's you why did. I'm seeing three of you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'll take it from you. Yes, Don't thank worry. you. Don't I'm going to pass out. <laughs> I'll set myself up. Don't worry. Words of wisdom and what's coming next. You kind of already mentioned that in your That's rambling. why I'm so winded. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> I'm sorry about Look that. Look at you. No, it's fine. But... Uh, yeah, words of wisdom. You kind of mentioned those earlier too. I think you got to see that group of films: Seven, Pulp Fiction, Clockwork Orange. <laughs> if you're in college yeah. right now, that makes sense. Twelve yeah. Monkeys, throw it in there. And we want to, you know, this is a good question. What are the the films you got to see if you're in college now? Yeah. So if you're in college now and you're a listener for us, what are those three or four movies that you're watching? Yeah, right what now? shapes your 
experience there, yeah. right? Like, what what do you need to get to get your diploma? Is it Kill Bill Two? Right. Or you know, I wonder if it, if it's been aged up or it's what. It's still the same directors. It's just the updated movie. So it's like Kill Bill. Zodiac. <laughs> <laughs> That's so white. Yeah. Mike, I think uh, I think we already kind of went over what we're going doing next. Uh, I just wanted to mention the Joker character study, though. Yeah. We're, we're having a blast with that. We just did Jack Nicholson's Joker. We got Mark Hamill coming up next week. Heath Ledger following that. And we got a bona fide Oscar contender, we think, coming out with Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. So we're building up to another Oscar movie with... A rewatch series, and that's I, exciting. I know we joke about it. Yeah. I sincerely don't know how we're going to survive the next three months of 2019. <laughs> because there's just so many contending movies. I did the schedule. Right. I, did you see that? Yeah, I did. I, I don't know how we're going to do I this. I did the schedule out like four months at right. a time, and it's it's loaded. If one of us gets sick, we're just going to have a one-man show and have to go on. We're going to have to. The show must go on. <laughs> It must go on, because we have too much to do. Guys, when reality sucks, you can come watch these and all these movies coming up with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar, trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We thank you for listening. We will see you in a couple days for It Chapter 2, and I mean it this time. See ya. You're making, you're making, you're making.